I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show uh are we ready so many so many so many damn books you good yes are we all good luke you good uh welcome hello uh, I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. This is So Many Damn Books, uh, recorded in the Doctor Doctor Studios in Brooklyn, New York. It's cold, it's dark, it's the uh, end of the year. It is. It is. 2014. Special thanks to Luke Wiggett. Yes, indeed. Follow him on Twitter at God's Teeth and Me. He's our stalwart producer and engineer. Well, you know, it's the end of the year, which means... um. I don't know what that really means. I guess it means that there's a lot of times that you can talk to people about a, a books because there's a lot of there's a lot of best of lists. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like coming together of what was the good stuff to listen to and read and watch this year. And it's always overwhelming because you look at it and sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I, I've read most of those. You look at a list and you're like, I read one. I don't even know most of these. And so, so. Sometimes I'm like, that was a great book, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe I just enjoyed all of the process of reading it. Right. Just, it was the right time. It was the right place. And it's just like, there's no way to really recommend that to someone. It's like, all right, here's how you read this book. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this is a thing that we have been asked now. Yes, it's like by, by long time listeners. <laughs> um, by someone, someone on Twitter called Luke. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, he basically asked us, how do we read so many much? damn books? Yeah. <laughs> you love saying the title. Oh, man, it's fun to just try and sneak it in, right? Yeah, I guess it is. It's is it not? Of, Can we take a poll? <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of, there is, it is kind of funny when you come across the title in the book. Yeah. It, 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 there is this sort of like, ding, this is where <laughs> yeah, I got it. Uh, but yeah, no. So how do we read so much? How do you read so much, Drew? Because you read even you read more than I do. I there's a part of me that doesn't know how I read as much as I do. Like I've always been a relatively fast reader, uh-huh. um, but in the last couple of years, it's like it has really taken off. Part of it is because I here in New York, I have a subway commute every day of about 35 minutes each way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes being on the six train, which is subject to all kinds of crazy fun delays. Um, you know, that can get up, that can get close to an hour. And like, well, I don't care. I'm just going to sit here with my book. Right. Um, but I also, I mean, it, for me, it has always been, ever since I was a kid, it's escapism. And it's the thing of like, I'm getting out of my world, whether I'm in a good mood or a bad mood. Like, I want to go somewhere else. Right. 
So, you know, weekend mornings or even if I if I wake up early on a weekday before I go to work, I'm like, I'm going to sit down and read for half an hour. I think about when people tell me that they read before bed, I'm just like, that's that isn't a way to not never read anything because yep. because you get in bed, you get three pages in and there's something that happens with being tired. Although, and you know, trying to read. I did that as a kid. Yeah, well, we were less tired when we were sent to bed as children. Oh, God. <laughs> or at least I was. It was a simpler time. Yeah, there was a there was a lot of flashlight reading. Yep. Um, and I think it's just, I, I don't, I really don't think it's finding time. Um, I, it's making time because I really like, I too, I make time on the weekends for sure. Like where I'm like, I'm not planning to do anything because I know I'm going to want to read my book. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, with me for subways. I, I listen to audiobooks as well. Um, so that now I can read while I walk and it's less dangerous. Can I ask you, and we can, we can use this or not, but I'm actually just genuinely curious about this. You work in, in the literary world. It's true. And you have to read a lot. How do you make the time to read what you want to read? You know, what's really funny is I, I, I will often find myself coming home from work where I read all day and sitting down and be like, ah, now I can finally read. <laughs> and it's just because like there's, it's really different. And I think this, it's kind of, it's really important for me to keep this delineation that work reading is, is work. It's right. not, it's not relaxing. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's work reading is really not the same where it's, and it's really, really relaxing actually to come home and pick up a book and just read it for fun where it's just like, I have no stake in this book except for do I enjoy it? Hmm. You make your cocktail, you read for a little bit, and then like you've just sort of created this nice little buffer zone from what you were doing at work to the rest of your life. And I dig that. I mean, I'm, yeah. Yeah. And And even when I don't, I'm like, I'm the sort of person who I will go to parties. Like I will leave my house and be like, I am dressed up. I'm going to a party and I will have a book on me. Like just in case. Leaving a, leaving the house without a book is pretty much the best way for me to find myself in a situation where I really wish I had a book. Yep. Inevitably. <laughs> and it really is like almost like eerie, like almost supernatural where it's like, I didn't bring a book. So something is going to happen where two hours is of, <laughs> of my life is going to be spent waiting in line somewhere or something. Yep. Oh yeah. That's another way. If you are having trouble making time to find time is just to have a book on you. You will find that there is time to, to read. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, being on a subway and reading is really fun because there's another side, especially if you live in New York or if you live anywhere where you get to read in public. With other readers in public. Yeah, is, is there's, there's this great thing that really only happens with, with books where you get talked to about the book that you're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was reading The Goldfinch, yeah. I had an advanced reader copy of The Goldfinch, which it was like a hotly anticipated book. People talk to me about that every single time I, re- I had it out. Like, oh, you have the new Donna Tartt. And it, it seriously makes me very excited about living in New York and living in a literary city, but also just like I could talk to all these people about books, which is, you know, other than reading and other than podcasting. <laughs> Talking to people in real life about books is one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. The, the Donna Tart is actually, when I, I read it after it had come out, when everyone, it felt like everybody in New York was reading it. And it wasn't even the conversations, but I'm on the train and I'm reading, 
you know, and you look up to make sure you know where you are or whatever, and somebody, like, across the train is reading, and, like, they happen to look up, and you, you're just like, hey. You almost want to cheers books with them. Yeah, that's, it is. It's, like, it's a little, like, visual eye contact toast of, like, nice. Right. Other people aren't always horrible jerks. That's a lovely thought to have. So when um, the Nobel was announced, um, I kind of was like, yeah, I'll go buy that book. What is it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and awards are kind of like that. They kind of, they kind of direct reading. What do you think of awards? I enjoy them as, as a writer, it's the sort of thing of like, I want to win one someday. But as a reader, there's something cool about being like, somebody or several somebodies who are in a position of power, whether or not they've earned it, you know, whatever. But these somebodies have said that this book, all of these books are worthy, but this book is especially worthy of your notice. It's not that it's better, but it is, it is especially worthy of your, and I'm like, well, all right. If you, um, the best example this year, I think has been the man Booker prize. Right. And, you know, I looked at that, that long list and I know there were all these concerns about like oh my god we're letting Americans in now is it gonna is it gonna skew the thing whatever I really um partially because I was a former student of hers but I really wanted Karen Joy Fowler to win yeah you know and but that that was a book that I hadn't read yet and I was like well shit I have to put this on my list now because it's you know but then when the the Richard Flanagan novel won Mm -hmm. I wasn't it wasn't on my radar it was not a book that I would have picked up. I would the cover was not even interesting enough for me to like walk no. by it and be like, "Oh, what's this?" And now, and not just because I'm a devoted tournament of books fan, and I have to assume that it has an auto bid, but just like so this book in a, a prize, one of the best literary prizes in the world. I'm like, well, okay, this is worthy of my attention for some reason. Honestly, I just feel like anything that brings the the national conversation back to books in some way is Mm -hmm. a good thing and so if people need an award to get worked up over books in the same way that they get worked up over like an avengers teaser trailer (laughs) you know like yeah you know more awards and more coverage of them let's do it because like there's real that's really like the only you know book journalism that reaches a, a larger audience than it, than people who read the New York Times book review or something. I remember last year, the 2013 National Book Award. Uh-huh. I remember for whatever reason, maybe it's because at the time my my boss's wife was covering it for the New York Times. That so was like, um, that was James McBride, yep. Good Lord Mer- Bird, yeah, which was a surprise. Yeah, and but it was this thing of like, was it a surprise? I remember, at the time, I remember feeling like it was a surprise, but also like I was on Twitter and I felt like everybody who I personally, like not my book review account followed on Twitter, everybody was just talking about the National Book Awards. Yeah, which like, is great. This is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and especially the Nobel, like it really gets people because it's like a huge mm-hmm. award. It really, and it, and it isn't just for a book too. It's, it, it's for, contribution to letters right it's it's a it's it's i I, i'm always interested in that conversation of 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 why why this author why all of this work and why right now right i i i loved um doris lessing i think it was her um her reaction to 
to being included was like, that's nice. Where was it 20 years ago? That would have mattered. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it can, I mean, I'm sure, first of all, I had never heard of um, this year's winner, Patrick Modiano. Nope. In any way, shape or form. And um, his books are barely out in the, he's written thir- like 25 books, 25 novels. And there's like three out in American it translations. Was, it, yeah. And it was almost impossible to find any copies of those. Amazon Barnes and Noble, all of the web stores, Powell's, nobody had copies. Like right. Amazon was like, we can get you one for eighty-five dollars. <laughs> I was like, what? How great is it when uh, when you have to go to a find, see if you can find your neighborhood brick and mortar? I don't know how community bookstore out here in um, Park Slope did it, but they had, you know, a few dozen copies of of Honeymoon by Patrick Modiano and uh, Mystic Person. Which is, I mean, I went, I went to Strand the day that the award came out to be like, oh, let me see if I can... And they had nothing. And then maybe a week later, mm-hmm. they had on that like front table of the best of the best or whatever, they had like four copies of Missing Person. And ultimately, like what, what awards do is they get people worked up over... And like I think that mm-hmm. they're a good t- tool for that. Um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mad that Wolf and White Van didn't even make the shortlist for the National Book Awards. Yeah, and I, it's fun to talk to people and to be like oh my god did you expect this yeah and you know there are plenty of people who do not follow this as deeply as you and i do (laughs) and they're like like, what are you talking about um but i mean i said it to you when when the nobel was announced this year i was like oh haruki murakami he is always the bridesmaid for the nobels because every year i feel like somebody says like this he's favorited this year. You're like you don't know because the Nobel. It, it's such a weird, arcane, mystical thing where they're like, you know, the way that it happens. Yeah, I think they probably get. It's probably a meeting in a room, like in uh, like the Supreme Court, where you, you can't like see the room. That right, all and meeting. like they have weird cloaks, and there are probably like some very. And they arcane. have to let blood <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. on each book, and whichever one shows the sign of the devil, that's one they take out. <laughs> Um, Wolf and White Van, right out of there. Yeah, right out of there. It talks about it too much. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Haruki Murakami, um, I feel like he probably will win one. It's just... Uh, at some point. And I mean, I was a little biased this year because I spent the year... I had never read him before and I spent the year trying to get into that. But mm. no other award looks at literature. They're looking at individual moments. Or maybe right. no, I mean, maybe there's another one. I don't know. But like they're looking at this novel this year, whereas right. the Nobel is like, hey, this guy has written 25 books, a couple screenplays. He's done a lot. All right, let's give it to him this year. Right. And, you know, I don't know, but I'll bet that he was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, Quoi? I, I, <laughs> excusez-moi. <laughs> Je suis français. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put down my cigarette and my wine. I want to say one more thing about Subway book chats, which uh, there I was reading uh, the Gillian Flynn book, uh, Dark Places. And I sort of noticed that the girl sitting next to me was reading over my shoulder. Oh, I love that. And um, she finally, like, I, I guess she couldn't take it anymore. And she turned to me. She's like, is that fiction? I hope that's fiction. <laughs> Which yeah yeah I really yeah, <laughs> you you really hope dark places is fiction <laughs> anyway I hope that's fiction that's I wanted, a, to, that's I wanted a... to tell a story. <laughs> uh, okay so Modiano we both read missing person 
But it, the brief synopsis is basically it's um, it's this guy in Paris. Ten, he's had some sort of amnesia event that has caused him to lose his his memory of the last however long. Yeah, like uh, twenty years or something. Yeah, and, and uh, he's a. Um, uh, his uh, he work he works as a detective, mm-hmm. and his boss is closing the agency. Yeah, and so he decides I'm going to take this last my last uh, case is me. Who am I? Yeah, and this is uh, it's after the war, mm-hmm. um, mid fifties. It feels like there there was this uh, the Nobel describes him somewhat as saying um, he's the Marcel Proust of our time, which is whoa, which is wow. First yeah. of all. Uh, also, Karlov Nosgaard is looking up like, excuse me? What? Did someone say my name? <laughs> Did someone say Marcel Proust? Um, uh, but I, I can kind of see that because it's to, to me, reading Missing Person was sort of re- like reading Marcel Proust by way of Hemingway, mm. where it's these short sentences, but it's about memory. Yep. And 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 that was kind of the joy of reading this book is is he he's constantly thinking you know, with the few memories or the few pieces of clues that he has, he's constantly trying to figure out, like, trying on these lives of, of people and saying, like, oh, I'm this person. Okay, so I remember, I remember that. And he starts, try to, tries to put notions together to create the memory that he doesn't have anymore. Yeah. I mean, almost to the point that when he, somewhat spoiler, when he does find one that, as it turns out, is right, you don't know it for a while. I actually think that he do, you don't know by at all. You never really know if yeah. he was correct. And I th- I think that that is, this is not a novel that is setting out to tell a good story. This is a novel that's setting out to evoke a feeling. And in that way, there's something I'm going to say this being being French myself. Um yeah, you're so French. Well, I don't know. Um I, like growing up, I not growing up in high school. I read a lot of Camus and a lot of Sartre and mm. their fiction specifically, and that way that Modiano feels like he's in that continuum of mm. specifically French existential literature and thinking about the problems of existence and self. Ostensibly, it's a film noir mystery novel, but I found myself thinking about myself. And the way that I have constructed this version of myself, and what if that was stripped away? What are the things that would exist still? How would I find, like, if I was all of a sudden wiped blank, would I come back to all of these things, or could I be somebody completely different? Right. So I'm going to read a little bit from it. Um, to set up this scene, he's, he's just met someone. He thinks his name might be Pedro. And um, he's been given this, this, this is the second person that's given him a box of photographs and, and objects that are supposedly tangentially related to him in some way. Um, and so he's going through the box. Uh, not much here in the biscuit box. A flaking lead soldier with a drum, a four-leaf clother adhering to the center of a white envelope, some photographs. I appear in two of them. No question that it is the same man as the one standing beside Gay Orlov and old Giardez. A tall, dark-haired man, me, the only difference being that I've no mustache there. In one of the photographs, I'm with another man as young as myself, as tall but fair-haired. Freddy? 
Yes, as someone has written in pencil on the back of the photo, Pedro, Freddy, Labal. We're at the seaside and both wearing beach robes. Evidently a very old photograph. It's this very sort of um, short sentences. That's why I kind of thought Mm -hmm. of Hemingway. But of someone really, they really, he does not remember. And so he's really trying to put together himself. That's where it comes in, that it's not about the plot. It's more about this concept of who are you? They, the Nobel Prize Committee uh, on their website, I didn't, I didn't transcribe it all, but I thought this was, th- this was nice, and I, I think that they're right. He is successful in this. Uh, for the art, uh, they chose Modiano for the art of memory with which he has evoked the most ungraspable human destinies. Ooh. Which I think, I think is right, and, and, and I don't think that this novel could have ever been what's the word i guess successful in the in the satisfying like that was a great yarn sort of way mm-hmm. where he, that's the thing is he can't be satisfied he's never going to know whether or not he's right because this is you know 19 he, i think it's the 1960s but he's he's trying to figure out his break with um with his memory happened during the war yeah so like the world doesn't look the same and and no one looks the same and a lot of the people are dead and he does evoke that very well of 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 a fractured world yeah. Well, you also, you have read, I have not, I'll fully admit that, you've read uh, another one of his novels. Right, I read Honeymoon, um, which I actually think is does a lot of the things that Missing Person does, but does it better, um, where he really does have a good time in, in, in like imagining other people's lives. It's like something that he does in all of his novels, but in that one, he... Um, He's trying to imagine this this woman's life who committed suicide that he sort of was in love with, you think, but he never really thought any that he would have any chance with her. But so he's trying to he's imagining the time that he knew them and then like working backwards and trying to figure out their lives mm. uh, as he's actively deciding not to return home to his wife. And you're you're sort of trying to figure figure out how those two things are connected. And it's it's very powerful. Yeah. We have come to this author looking at, okay, he's just been given a prize for his entire body of work, and being able to then approach his work for the first time with this sense of like, all right, let's look at the things that this guy has tried to accomplish over the course of his body of work. Right. And this is one of those things where you really, I mean, you... If I'm going to be reading, if you're going to read the Nobel Prize winner, you've got to read a few because yeah. it's not just it's not just for one book. Anyway, you know, f- for your reading year in 2015, uh, perhaps perhaps you go for Modiano and you check out why why he got a Nobel Prize. And yeah. See you, see if you agree with the Nobel Prize Committee. And their arcane ways of deciding on who wins. <laughs> their strange rituals. Uh-huh. We we can't leave we can't leave this is the end of the year. We can't leave without talking about our top five. Yeah. Every every other place in the has been world. doing their list in yeah, in the entire world. It's like the Nestle the Nestle chocolate top five books of the year. <laughs> Printing this on my hundred grand wrapper? Come on. That'd be kind of fun on the inside of the wrapper. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's say not books that you've read this year, but books that came out this year. Yeah. yeah. The top five of 2014 books published this year. Well, I'm going to say that 
I'm not going to put this in a in a super order. I don't have like a number one of the year. All right. Um, but I'm going to say uh, one of my one of my absolute favorites favorites this year, of course, and we've talked about it on the show is Magician's Land by Love Grossman. Just an excellent book on its own. A great series. Just just a perfect book. I mean, I loved it. You don't often get a great ending to your trilogy. Sometimes you get have these lingering questions or you've got this stuff that you, you're like, why didn't they? But I have none of that for, for Love Grossman. I thought he did an amazing job finishing his series. Uh, next up is another book we talked about the, on the show, our first episode, Station Eleven. I loved that book. And uh, I definitely thought that dystopian fiction was uh, played out for me. I didn't think there was anything else that, that the that the genre could do subgenre, I guess uh, up next I listened to this book Fourth uh, of July Creek by Smith Henderson um, it's just a really amazing book I can kind of compare it to if you loved Breaking Bad the television series read Fourth of July Creek and if you have Audible and you have credits at the end of the year and you don't know what to do with them it's one of the best like subject matter to narrator pairings I've ever heard in my listening to audiobooks right up there right up almost at the top Wolf in White Van by John Darnielle just again we talked about on the show and we talked about on the show because we loved it mm-hmm. and and it was it, it's got so much going for it and in it's it's slim too he did so much in like 240 pages that other authors take like thousands and thousands of pages to do and I've been thinking about it ever since I read it I think my number one of the year might be 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by mm. Marie Helen Bertino. It's just because it's just one of those things like you, she opened up what, what fiction can do again, which, you know, that doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. So that's my top five. Nice. Thank you. Nice. You can go now. All right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm going to start at the, in a, it, it's not exact, but going from five to one. Sure. Um, there's like a there's a big scrum at the bottom of the pile, but I think the one that makes it into the top five is uh, Tom Rockman's The Rise and Fall of Great Powers. Oh, that was a great which book. is a book that you and I both read. Yeah, um, we even talked about it in the lost episodes of the show. The lost episodes of the show, indeed. And it it's just I I really liked his first novel, The Imperfectionist, but this one this story of all of these amazing characters like. Thule, sort of the main character, is fascinating, but then all of these people who orbit around her, even the people who just drop in for a couple of pages, are so vividly realized that I just, like I look at that book on my shelf and I just like feel warm and lovely inside. Like, yeah, yeah. that was cool. It's a puzzle box of a novel. Yeah. Um, number four is Nick Harkaway's Tiger Man. This was the book that all of a sudden I was like, oh, yeah. He is a day of go out, buy the book, and start reading it kind of author. I'm disappointed that the book isn't about a, like a wear tiger. I mean, it's about a superhero though who dresses up as as a tiger. So it's like it's like Batman, but if he was a tiger, <laughs> we like. Can I? It, does that make it slightly more? You just sold the book to me. I mean, yes, <laughs> excellent. It's like Batman if he were a tiger. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, he does the action really well, but he also grounds it in a really lovely human way. Um, and he does the action really well. Number three, Catherine Lacey's Nobody Is Ever Missing, which the review that I wrote of it, I finished the book 
while I was taking a bath because like sometimes you just want to relax. And I was like, We're learning so much about you. Kate. Yeah, I know. It's, there's a lot here, folks. I apologize. I was sobbing in this bath. Like, and I just, there's so many cliches that that sort of brings up. And I don't even know what they are, but they're there. I shouldn't be laughing at you. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I was deeply affected by the book. Well, to me also, you, it's almost like one of, one of those when you finish reading the book, you actually just kind of want to start at the beginning mm-hmm. because now that you know the source of the tension, mm-hmm. you, you kind of want to reread it because you, yeah. Yeah. And if it, if, re, it recasts and recolors everything there. Right. And then my top two sort of bounce back and forth. They are overall, I think, the two best things I read all year. But depending on the mood I'm in, will change which one is actually what I would call the best. Um but they are David Mitchell's The Bone Clocks and Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach Trilogy. Hmm. And the Southern Reach Trilogy we've talked about on this podcast at length. And to, to read this trilogy in the course of a year was just that alone is a really cool thing. But the fact that, like you were saying about Lev Grossman's trilogy, so often when a trilogy ends or a series ends, there are lingering things that you're just upset that they haven't been answered. Southern Reach has things that are unanswered, but like you don't care because he does it in such a way that he gives you enough answers, leaves enough up to your imagination, and writes three very different books. Yeah. And then The Bone Clocks is just, it's everything that David Mitchell does well, and he sort of works in so many genres. He's written the historical novel. He's written the sort of like high sci-fi type novels. He's written just the very human novels and he's doing all of that at once, but then also pulling his entire universe together with this book in a way that I just found so impressive and kept me up like several nights in a row. It's two o'clock in the morning and I'm like, ah, can I get one more page? Right. In a way that I haven't felt like since I was a kid. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's been a, uh, it has been a good year for reading. Yes, it has. And uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna stick around until the next year, even. Indeed, may may next year bring us all really great reading, and you as well, dear listeners. Yeah. Um, because next time, next year, next year, we're gonna be uh, we're starting off the year on uh, on Lena Dunham. Yeah, celebrity celebrity writings, hmm? memoirs, essays, that sort of thing. Not that kind of girl. I'm not that kind of girl. Oh, man, I'm biting my tongue. All right, well, <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, yeah. And um, stay safe. See you all next year. See you next year, Christopher, Luke. Bye, guys. Bye. Also the Romney tattoo guy, while we're at it. I mean, if we're checking in with tattoo guys, maybe aware are they know tattoo guys. What's going on with the Avatar tattoo guy? What's yep. going on with the Zune tattoo guy? Different podcast, though. <laughs> it could be this one. What are they reading? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> for their favorite authors. What's the Zune guy's favorite author? <laughs> 